Our lesson tonight comes from Joel chapter 2. And we're probably most familiar with Joel chapter 2 because of what's discussed there concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we'll talk about there towards the latter part of the chapter. But there's much more to Joel chapter 2 than just simply, I shouldn't say simply, I guess, but there's more to it than just the outpouring that's mentioned there towards the end of the chapter because as you look at Joel chapter 2, we'll find that there's a lot to, to do primarily with really uh, a call to repentance and prayer as we look at Joel chapter 2 that leads up and concludes with uh, what's going to take place uh, in the latter days, which we know being a reference to uh, the days that the church would come into establishment. And so we want to begin tonight by looking at Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and following, looking at an urgent call to repentance and prayer. And we'll begin by looking at verses 1 through 3. Uh, looking at this uh, urgent warning. And here, beginning verse 1, the Bible says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the, over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. We find in verses 1 through 3 this warning. You notice it begins there in verse 1. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. He says, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, which means this is a warning, right? When you blow a trumpet or you sound an alarm, it's because something is about to happen. And here in this case, you find that something is going to be very, uh, no doubt, uh, terrifying. We're talking about destruction that's coming. We're talking about a war that's coming. He talks about how the clouds are going to be darkened, how, how a, a fire is going to be burning. And so we see this warning of things that are about to take place. And we're, we know as we're going to continue to go through this, it's again because of the sin of the people of these things are taking place. We find in verses 4 through 11 really a very vivid and very uh, clear image of the uh, calamity and of the destruction that's going to take place. In verse 4 and following, the Bible says, Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. This is talking about the, the power and the quickness in which their enemies are going to come upon them. We're not talking about literal, literal men being as horses or anything like that, but how quickly they're going to be moving. He says, so, And like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap, like the, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours a stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. Why do people today, sometimes when something happens, we say, well, their face, you know, all the color left their face, or you see the shock on their face. Many times it has a lot to do with all of a sudden them falling ill. A person loses their colors because they're not feeling very well. Well, here but they're losing their color, and the reason why is because of what's happening. Those who are coming upon them, literally the idea of fear has caused the color to drain from their face there in verse 5. Or verse 6, rather. In verse 7, they run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. 
They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb onto, or into, the horse, into the houses. rather. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark. Talking about, no doubt, the destruction is causing the sky to darken. And the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? What's happening here is God's bringing his wrath upon them because of their wickedness. And so much of Joel, we know we have chapter divisions, but this could be just simply one, you know, one single chapter, so to speak, because of all these things that are taking place. He, we find here in verse uh, 11, he says, The Lord goes, or the Lord gives, rather, voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. This is God's will that's being carried out. This destruction is coming upon them. For the day of the Lord, here being a reference to God's judgment, is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Meaning there is no escape from it. God's going to punish these people, and there's no escape, of course. Only that which only escape they have is repentance before it is too late. And that's what we find next in verses 12 through 17, an urgent call to repentance. As we look at verse 12, he tells them here to tear their hearts and not their garments. Looking at verse 12, he says, Now therefore, said the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, all signs of repentance and mourning over their faults, over their transgressions, over their sins. There in verse 12 and verse 13, So rend your heart and not your garments. I love that phrase because he says, don't just be an outward show, but be an inward action. Change who you are is what he's talking about. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Now notice, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Kindness. And notice also next, and he relents from doing harm. Now, we just saw all these things that are going to come upon them, but that's conditional. That is, if they don't repent, all that's going to take place. All that swiftness, that powerful army is coming. But we find in verse 13 here what happens. He says here, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. Now, notice the different ways it describes how God is going to be patient with them and give them a chance to be saved and not face complete destruction. He says, for God is, number one, gracious, number two, merciful, number three, slow to anger, number four, of great kindness, and number five, and he relents from doing harm. That's a possibility, right? All those things show that there's always a chance for them to prevent this from happening, but it's conditional upon their repentance. And verse 14 says, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? A grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. What must they do? They must turn back to God. They must turn back to Him. But they must, as we find there in verse 13, rend their heart and not their garments. They must truly, truly change. And that's what we find next in verses 15 through 17. They must truly repent and fervently pray to God. In verse 15, the Bible says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, Gather the people, 
Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes of the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. The point there in verse 15 is you get everybody here. Everyone has to be involved. Not just a few, but everyone. Blow the trumpet of Zion and do what? Call the assembly. Gather the people. Then he goes into detail that what? That is very clear. Get everyone. Looking at verse 16. Let the priest who minister the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do, not, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations shall rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Now, that's what they're going to say when, if the, they see God's people being destroyed. They're going to say, But where is their God? And when the priests are to say, Don't let people give that opportunity to say those things. Instead, Israel needs to repent so that God will relent. And not destroy them. Their God is there. The problem is the people's heart is not there. It's not in the right place. As we see there in verse 17. Next we want to notice in this, really the second half of this is the what I call the, the day of Jehovah. is really going to be described here. When we start here in this section, we have first the blessings that are promised to Israel, beginning here in verse 18. And we know that any time blessings are promised to people, it is, it is always conditional upon their obedience. For Israel, it was conditional upon their repentance, right? We look at verse 18 of Joel chapter 2. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. How do we know this? That's conditional upon them coming back to him, right? They who repent... Remember, we just saw leading up to this, they were to call everybody together to have a sacred, you know, a sacred assembly, declare a fast, all those things, leading up to repentance. And as a result of their repentance, if they did repent, verse 18, what would happen? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. Pity means he would show mercy upon them. It's not a sign of weakness to pity someone. It's a sign of mercy to pity them, to try to help them, because not, it's not the idea really of, of that we feel sorry for that one. is that we see someone in a condition of need, and we want to help them out of that condition. And here in verse 18, that's what we find here. He pities his people. He sees they need him, and they always will. And he's going to lift them up from that condition, of course, dependent upon their obedience to him. Looking next at verse 19 and following, we find the removal of what we call sometimes Jehovah's army, and we find some blessings that are promised. Looking at verse 19 and following. Then the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. Again, depending upon what? Their obedience, their repentance, followed by their obedience to God, right? But I will remove far from you the northern army, and I will drive him away to a barren and desolate land, with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. He will, his tent will come up, and his foul odor will rise, because he has done monstrous things, right? God is pictured as relenting, bringing these, these armies away and doing what? Now he's blessing those people because they have returned to him. But notice they have done monstrous things. Why? Because he's brought the wicked of the world against them. It is common throughout the Bible to see God use armies and evil, even evil people to punish those who have walked away from him. 
We find that over and over again. We find here very clearly in verse 20, the Lord's going to bring the army away from them. He's going to drive them away into a barren and desolate land there in verse 20. Verse 21, he says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Notice the comparison there in verse 20 and 21. The wicked army there they use had done monstrous things because evil deserves a monstrous response, right? Israel had done terrible things by going against God. God punishes them and uses a, this army. And in verse 21, when God, because of their repentance, begins to bless them, His blessings are described as marvelous things. Monstrous versus marvelous, right? Which one we get to experience depends upon if we are being faithful to God. You want to experience the, the, the monstrous things that God can do to people, then reject God. If you want to experience the blessings and the marvelous things that God can do, then be with God. You know, in, in Job, excuse me, not Job, but in Jeremiah chapter 20, and depending on what translation you're looking at, if you're looking at the King James, I believe it's Jeremiah 20 verse 10, if you're looking at the King James, it says he is a mighty, terrible one. If you look at the New King James, it says he's a mighty, awesome one. And both of those words no doubt describe God. But when I read that verse, I think about those different ways it translates it. And I always think about it this way. Depending on whose side you're on, you may view God differently. The enemy may view God, the person who's against God may view him as a mighty, terrible one, right? But the person who's on the side of God may view him as a mighty, awesome one. And that's how Jeremiah no doubt viewed him there in Jeremiah 20 and verse 10. And the blessings of God here in verse 21 are viewed the same way. The Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. You remember last week we talked about how even the, the animals were crying out and, and moaning and complaining because of what was happening. Well, now he tells him in verse 22, the beasts don't have to be afraid anymore because the open pastures are springing up. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the former rain faithfully. Meaning, what is He doing? He's restoring what they had had in the past. So we have this picture of them being faithful, God blessing them, them becoming unfaithful, God taking it away, because God doesn't bless the wicked. Then coming back, and what happens? God restores His blessings to them. He continues to say here in verse 23, he says, And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. God has blessed them in the past. He's going to continue to bless them now. Verse 24, The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I have sent among you. Everything they had lost, is going to be restored. Do you remember how that happened to Job at the end of the book of Job after he had endured all those things? The Bible tells us that he is more blessed in the end than he was in the beginning. He had more sons and daughters, and he is more blessed, implying that perhaps even his, uh, his uh, livestock and things like that grew. But also it talks about how it mentions even that his, his, his daughters were the most beautiful in all the land, which means it won't be hard to find husbands for them, right? That's the idea there. At least that's how I think about it. Because that wasn't always the case. But we find here 
in verse 24 and following, what's happening, everything they have had destroyed. He mentions here specifically in verse 25, all the locusts, how they have destroyed years of crops. He says he's going to restore all of that. Because, friends, when God gives, as I like to say, you think of it this way, when God gives, He does so with both hands. He gives back everything they had lost. So looking at verse 26, He says, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Because you remember back earlier, when the priest is pictured as mourning and crying out to God, He's saying, Don't let your people be put to shame. Don't let them look bad because it's going to reflect upon you, right? And we find here in verse 26, the Lord says, My people shall never be put to shame. The Lord was going to bless them. Again, all these things conditional upon their faithfulness to Him. Every blessing from God is conditional upon our obedience. When we walk away from God, so do the blessings. They walk away from us as well. Looking at verse uh, 27, here the Bible says, Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that is, He is with them, right? I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. There it is again, verse 27. Then you shall know when, when all these things are brought back, they'll know that He is in the midst of them. Now, we know in verse 28 and following, we have what we call the outpouring of the Spirit that's being discussed. We also find, however, judgment and even also the remnant is going to be discussed. Looking at verse 28 and 29 of Joel chapter 2, the Bible says, And shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on your men servants and on your maid servants or I'll pour out my spirit in those days. Remember Peter in Acts 2 says this is what Joel was talking about. And here we find in Joel 2, 28-29, this is what he's talking about. What's going to come to happen afterwards. And we know this is talking about in Acts 2 because even Peter says this is what Joel was talking about. The coming of the Holy Spirit being mentioned there in Joel 2 and being no doubt fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 as well, being poured out upon the apostles and they would have the ability to pass on the Holy Spirit to others and whom they laid hands on, thus young men and young men and women and thus and others as well, seeing these other things, having these other gifts as the, as the hands of the apostles were laid upon them. In verse 30 and 31, the Bible says here, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon sh- into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Judgment day, we find also, is in parallel to the blessings of Israel. The, the judgment day is always coming. For some, they have different, we must say different judgment days because, because of their wickedness. They have a chance to either obey or not, or God's going to bring judgment upon them in their time. But we all know the final day of judgment is that the return of Christ, right? We look at verse 32. He talks about here a remnant. He says, And it shall come to pass, whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know in Joel's time that no doubt would include those who put their obedient faith in God. For us today, it's the same thing, right? Not simply a calling out only, but a calling out 
to God being that we obey His commands, that is for us today, the New Testament, the Gospel, and we will be saved when we obey His Word. You know, even during Joel's time, this idea of calling upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved, it had to be accompanied with what? Faithful obedience. You never read in the Bible anywhere where someone called upon God and they didn't do anything else ever. They were never faithful to God beyond that and them being okay. You don't find that. Faithful obedience is always there with it. Not simply just calling upon God, but being faithful to Him. He says, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the remnants whom the Lord calls. And we know today the Lord calls us how? He does so through the gospel message. Some lessons for us today from Joel chapter 2. Hardships can bring us back to God. I'm sure we all can understand when I say none of us enjoy hardships. I've never had a time where I said, boy, I'm enjoying this difficult time we're having. We don't do that. We look forward to the time that whatever it may be that we're dealing with is finally over so we can move on, right? But hardships can definitely bring us back to God, and those who have become unfaithful can definitely come back to God. Hardships can serve as a painful reminder of where we need to put our hope and trust, and that would be in God. We find in Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, the Bible says, And Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. This being following what? Him losing all his children and all his livestock, right? A long and horrible day for Job and for his wife. But the Bible tells us he responded in chapter 1 by falling down and worshiping God. He says in verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job, no doubt, wanted to do what was right. We know he struggles throughout the book. We also know that uh, through the hardships he faced, he still, he was reminded of some things, and we know he did ultimately make himself right before God after all the hardships he faced in his uh, account there, we read. But we know as we look at what happened here with Job in chapter 1, after losing all these things, all his family, with the exception of his wife, he had a good attitude about it, and we should follow that, as we find in chapter 1, where he went instead and he worshipped God. He did not begin to blame him, not yet at this point. Or to question him. God always punishes wickedness, thus man must not delay in repentance. You look at Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as we saw the warning. Remember chapter 1, blow the trumpet and sound the alarm. Judgment was coming upon Israel. You better do what? You better make it right, or you're going to what? Basically not survive. They were going to be punished. But they were warned, as we find in chapter in verses 1 through 3 of Joel, by this trumpet being sounded and this alarm uh, being sounded in the holy mountain. Destruction, as we've already mentioned, can be avoided. And we can be prepared when judgment day comes. Looking at Jeremiah chapter 18, verses uh, 7 and 8. The Bible says, The ancient I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull down, and destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, what does that mean? Turns from its evil, it means repentance, right? He says, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. That's the same thing we find 
in Joel chapter 2. God was going to relent. So hardships can bring us back to God, and we also must remember that God's love is what saves mankind. And without God's love, we would not have a chance of being saved. We would have no chance of being forgiven of our sins. Israel would have been without all hope if God was not a loving God. God's love is seen in His patience and also in His slowness to anger. If we look at Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14, the Bible says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Meaning what? There's going to be a time He's going to say, You're going to have to repent. I'm going to bring a judgment against you. He allows them time, and then what happens? They, they've gone too far. What happens? We see God brings wrath upon them, and we find in verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. It means He hasn't given to us what we actually truly deserve because God is merciful. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that what? Not that I did, he has actually forgotten. The Lord knows that we are what we call sometimes finite beings, which means we're going to struggle. doesn't mean that we can make an excuse and say, well, I'm only human. No, God still requires repentance. He still requires that we make ourselves right before Him. God's love can also be seen in the warnings He gives. If He does not love mankind, then why bother to give warnings? We saw that in Joel chapter 2 and verse 1, with the trumpet and with the alarm. We see it in Joel chapter 2 verse 11. When He says here, talks about how He says, For strong is the one who executes His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? That's a warning, right? He's telling me you cannot escape it. So what do you need to do? You need to figure out a way to avoid it, to make yourself right. And you avoid it in their situation by repentance. By repentance. The only way they could avoid the wrath of God was by repentance. So let us not be those who refuse to humble themselves before God, but instead listen to His Word, consider His warnings, and repent. That was the main message there in Joel 2. Repent, make yourself right, I will relent, you will have those blessings restored, but it is conditional upon their repentance and upon their obedience. So let us be eternally grateful for God's love and mercy that He extends to us on a daily basis. And we'll close with Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, where He tells us, The Lord's mercies we are not consumed. The only reason the, the people there during Joel's time were not destroyed is because of God's mercy. For the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. He says they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness truly is great. His mercy, His long-suffering, His patience. We think about our own lives and how many times we, make, we have made mistakes and we think, aren't we glad the Lord is patient? You know, sometimes we, maybe as children we try the patience of our parents, but aren't we glad our parents are patient? Aren't we glad that God is patient, is long-suffering? Because the Bible tells us God does not want anyone 
to perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? That explains to us why he is long-suffering. And because of God's long-suffering, we want to be those who do not abuse it. We want to be those who will make themselves right in the sight of God. That we will use his patience and his mercy in the right way. And we'll use that as a chance to make ourselves right and pleasing in his sight. This evening, as you think about these things, if we can help you or assist you or encourage you in any way, you can come forward now. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected.